From my side, a warm welcome to everyone. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name is Louis Skippers, if you do not know me. And I've got the privilege of being the lead pastor at Grace Church. And for four weeks, we've been busy. This is our fourth week with our worship series, Worship the Big Picture, where we said, let's zoom out a little bit because... Often we can think of worship as something just religious people or just Christians do. We can often think of worship as something that is only music, a song we sing, or it's only a prayer, or it's something like that. So we said, let's look at the bigger picture. And for the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been doing. We've learned that we were all created to worship. Whether you believe that you're a worshiping kind of person or not, you are. God created us with hearts that will always seek something to worship if we don't find the right thing to worship. And the second week, that's what we said. You can worship anything, but not everything is worthy of our worship. A lot of things we worship in this life, if you follow the trail of your time and your money and your energy, you will find at the end of that trail an altar, and on top of that is something that you worship. That's what you will sacrifice for. But there's a lot of things we worship that will leave us feeling empty, that will leave us broken. And therefore, we need to make sure that our worship is directed at the only one who truly deserves it, and I believe that is Jesus Christ. And therefore, last week we said worship is not just singing a song. It's not just showing up for a service on a Sunday. Worship is a whole life response where every part of my being responds to the one I love. And today we're going to build on that. But I wanted to share a little bit of my own story. And some of you might have heard it before. Some of you might hear this for the first time. But I grew up different than a lot of you might have grown up in Canada. I grew up in a country um, where even today, it's still predominantly Christian. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church, knowing Jesus, knowing the church, loving that. And worship has been a big part. Worship of Jesus Christ has been a big part of my entire life, since I can remember. But when I was about 20, 21 years old, I was already busy studying theology. Um, I had a band that was set up to really worship Jesus as well in secular context. And um, something happened and a lot of stuff in my life started falling apart. My studies didn't go well. My girlfriend, my, our relationship broke up. My work that was supposed to help pay for my studies, that just collapsed. One of our best friends was murdered on his farm and I was there first on the scene to have picked him up right after he was shot in the heart. And a lot of these little things started building on top of each other in a, in a matter of two weeks to a month. And suddenly I found myself at a place where I couldn't worship anymore. There was just so many things that were weighing on me, so much darkness, so much desperation in my soul, that for the first time in my life, I went through a period where I'm like, I have no idea how to worship when this is what I'm facing in my life. And I think that is the problem that we often face in life is that we can lose out on the life-giving worship of the living God when we face real desperate situations in life. When I'm facing something that's bigger than me, when I'm facing something that's really scary, when I get that prognosis that doesn't look good, when, I'm, when my marriage is falling apart, when my children, when it seems like they are just drifting in the wrong direction, when there is stuff that makes me feel desperate, it's easy for me to lose out on life-giving worship of the living God. And I want to talk about why this happens today and about how we can have a different view of life to when 
So that when desperate times come, when I feel desperate, that I will keep my focus in the right place and that my worship can be directed in the right direction. So today, our topic for the fourth part of the series and the final part of the series is leading with worship. That is our final topic, leading with worship. And we're going to read today from a book in the Old Testament called Chronicles. And there's four books in the, in the Old Testament. So by the way, if you didn't know this, the Bible is not a book. The Bible, the word Bible comes from Biblia, which means library. It is a library of 66 books. And in the Old Testament, we get four books specifically about the kings of Israel and then later Judah and Samaria. And Chronicles is one of those books that tells us the stories of the kings. And we're going to be reading today from one of the kings that served in the southern kingdom. And he faced an incredibly desperate situation. This is a long story, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read sections of it throughout the service. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open to Second Chronicles 20. And we're going to split it up today. But I want to encourage you, if you do have a Bible, to go back home and to go and read the whole the whole um, Second Chronicles 20. If you don't have a Bible, open your phone, download the Bible app, or go to our info desk, and there's a bunch of Bibles. We will give you one for free as long as you will read it. Um, but we're going to read today from two Chronicle, 2 Chronicles 20, from verse 1, basically to the end of it. But I will guide you as we go through this. So let's start with Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. <clears throat> After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mehunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. And that was the king, King Jehoshaphat. He was a man who loved God. Okay, one of the, there was a whole line of a lineage of kings that didn't really love God and honor him. And Jehoshaphat was different. He really loved God. So these countries, these nations are declaring war on them. And then messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. That's what, this was another name for Engedi. So this is close to them, by the way. They're not far away anymore. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Because what do we do when bad news comes our way? By the time this king gets the news that these nations are declaring war against him, he also gets the news that, by the way, they're not at home base anymore. They are right outside of your doorstep. These guys are closed. The war is about to break out, and King Jehoshaphat is sitting with a situation where this is not the mighty Israel that it was under King David. Twelve tribes combined, hundreds of thousands of people strong, ready to fight anymore. This wasn't that nation anymore. This is a divided nation, and the couple of tribes that were left in the south do not have the military ability to defend themselves. So he, he has a situation where he's not only experiencing incredible fear, but he's also experiencing powerlessness. He's got a nation to defend, but he doesn't really have the ability to do it. 
And I think what we need to understand is being terrified is a natural human response in desperate situations. When your marriage is really in a, de- in a desperate state, when your relationship with your children or with a girlfriend or a boyfriend is in a desperate state, when your finances is in a desperate state, fear and anxiety is a normal human response. But here is the problem that happened to me in a time in my life where I faced desperate situations and that often happens to us. Think back of what we've said in the previous messages. And if you miss them, you can go and catch them up online. But we said worship is our response to what we value most. Okay? So whatever you value most, you're going to respond to that. But the problem is we said often our affection is determined by what has our attention. So if I give attention to the wrong things in my life, whether that's my cell phone, whether that's a car, whether that is a book, whether that is power, that thing that I give all my attention to will gain my affection. So at the end of the day, it starts sitting on a throne in my life. And whether I want to know it or not, my worship starts flowing in that direction. And I think often that's what happens when we are really desperate. So much of my attention goes towards the crises in my life that I struggle to focus on anything else. Since all of my attention is there, it's almost like my affection goes there, so it's almost as if my worship is going there. And that is why we find in times of true desperation that I think about it, it influences my work, it influences my relationships, it influences the way I manage money, it influences my online shopping, it influences every part of my life. Because what gets our attention will also get our affection. And bad news or pain or fear has the ability to consume our attention to such an extent that it drowns out our worship. But King Jehoshaphat decided to do something different. Instead of allowing fear to consume him, he does something that's really crazy. An army is right outside of his door, and what does he do? He goes on his knees and he starts praying. And that reminded me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, that says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about the army outside your door. Do not be anxious about your marriage. Do not be anxious about your children. Do not be anxious about the state of the country or the state of the world. But in every situation, By prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which doesn't make sense because the army is still outside my door. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, he decided in a moment where his anxiousness and his fear could consume him because the army, a vast army, is gathering outside his door, he decided to turn to God for help. And when I think about that, those verses in Philippians that says, don't be anxious, but pray, I almost want to reverse it, and I want to ask you this question today. What are you truly anxious about? What are you truly fearful of? What is making you feel 
absolutely desperate. And I want to tell you today that the reason that you might be feeling fear or anxiety or desperation about a situation, maybe it's because you're not bringing it to God in prayer. But the army is standing outside your door, and you believe you have to handle it all, all on your own. The enemy was close. Shouldn't they have been preparing for war at this moment? Shouldn't he have called up all the men and said, gather your spears and gather your swords and gather your shields and get ready. We're going to war. That's what I would have done, honestly. See, I don't know what your natural response is to desperation, but I think we can learn something from Jehoshaphat in this moment where he says, instead of responding my natural human way, I'm turning to God to find help. You see, desperation can be both bad and good. It can lead us to do the wrong things. But in this case, his desperation pointed him towards God. And this is a reminder to me of how important it is not only to bring my prayers and my requests and my fears to God in moments when I feel desperate, but it's a reminder to me of how important it is to have a healthy relationship with God, to have healthy worship rhythms in my life. Because your natural response is not to worship in times of crisis. Our natural response is to respond to it. Unless I've built worship rhythms into my life that, become so much, that, that became so much part of who I am that I reach out to God in a time of crisis. That is why keeping a Sabbath, a day that's separate, a day that is holy, a day of rest that I focus on God, that is why it's so important. You see, I don't believe Sunday when we gather here should just be something that we do every once in a blue moon when we feel good about it. I believe it should be the norm, not the exception. I believe my time daily with God where I praise Him and where I pray and where I read my Bible should be the norm, not the exception, because that is preparing me. That's setting me up for the moment when the desperation hits that I can choose worship over a fear response. In times of desperation, you have to choose. And you can choose either a worship response or you can choose a fear response. But it's probably not going to be both. And what is so beautiful to me about his response is not only that he chose a worship response, but he chose to not do it by himself. In verse 3 and 4, what does he do? He calls the whole nation together. He's like, don't, don't worry about your swords and your spears. I know the enemy is outside our gates, but everyone fast and pray. And this is what is so sad to me about Christians, and I feel especially in Canada, for some weird reason, you guys believe that you have to carry everything on your own. I have heard so many times, I've got this need in my life, I'm going through a crisis, pray for me, but don't tell anyone about it. I'm like, seriously, you don't want 300 people to pray for you when you've got a crisis? Why do you have to carry it alone? Joseph had said, come and fast and pray with me. You don't have to carry it on your own. That's why the church is here. And not only does the church help us and keep us up, but if you go and read the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed, after this, he goes back into the history of the Israelites, and he prays literally what God has done in the past. He prays about them leaving Egypt and how they crossed into this country and how God helped them to defeat the enemies. And I'm like, why would he pray that? 
You see, because sometimes we forget who God is. Sometimes we forget what God has done. But when we gather together, here's the beauty. We become part of a story that is greater than any one of us. We become part of a story that's thousands of years old and that will last and continue till the day Jesus returns. So I'm not standing here facing my enemies on my own. I'm not standing here and trying to find hope and courage in just what God has provided for me in my past. I am building on the legacy of the generations that came before me that all trusted in God. You cannot do that on your own. So they all pray together. The enemies outside of their doors. And after they pray, this happens. Second Chronicles 20, turn to verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, and his name was Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. And you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Joseph bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Guys, when I read the Jezil doesn't come, the men who were supposed to pick up their swords and their shields and their spears didn't just leave that behind and came to God in prayer in a crisis in their life. What did they do? It says they brought their children and the wives and the little ones. They brought everyone to stand before God. And I was thinking about this, like how are you leading your family in a time of desperation? See, because we're leading our families not to worship God, but because we're leading our families to respond to whatever is causing the fear. That's why things are falling apart. If you go and read some of the studies on just divorce, some of the biggest, the highest percentage of reasons why people get divorced is financial issues, substance abuse, severe disease. All the crises that we face. I'm like, we're supposed to be in this together. But because we didn't worship together, we, we're pulling apart. I listen to parents, and they are so worried about their children, and the world is falling apart, and it's all cynical and pessimistic, and like, I don't know if there's a future for my children. I don't know how they're going to turn out. Because I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I come from a country where they could go to a public school, and they would still hear the Bible at, in assembly every week. And I came to Canada in obedience, and I have no greater fear today for the future of my children than I had in South Africa, because there was different challenges than there is here, but this is the one thing I know, we will worship God together. 
And therefore, I'm not worried. See, we get worried about our children. I want you parents to hear this. You get worried about your children because you are trying to take control of something you have no control over. And you are, and we are, losing our children to the world. Christian children have been leaking out of our churches. Not because Jesus is not real. Not because there's not life in him. Not because he's not beautiful. We are losing them. Because our own attention is so much on the world, on the brokenness of it, on the hopelessness, on the wars going on, on the coronations of kings, on whatever it might be. We became so fixated on what's going on in the world that we forgot the thing that's most important, that is to lead our families in worship. That's why we're losing them. Because we didn't set an example of what it means to come before God and worship. That's the biggest example you could ever set. That is what they did. Everyone came before God. And God's response to the crisis is what? Twice. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You see, we live as if every battle belongs to us. We live as if our children belongs to us, so we need to manage it. Is our finances, the battle there belongs to us? As if the war against the world that's so different to my morals, if that's a battle I have to fight alone. And that, that causes us to fear. And let me warn you today that as long as you believe it's all up to you, whatever crisis you might be facing, as long as you believe it's up to you, guess what? It is up to you. If you want to take control of it, then it's up to you. If Jehoshaphat wanted to take control of the situation to face that army, it was up to him. If you want to control it, it's up to you. And if the army is bigger than yours, you will lose. But God fights for us. That's what the prophet told them. God will fight for you. You don't even have to go out and fight. You march out, but he will fight for you. And this is the incredible part for me in this story, is that nothing surprises God. Nothing scares God, and nothing dethrones God. God didn't, he wasn't surprised by the three armies, the vast army outside of the gates. He's not, oh man, I didn't know they're coming, like grab your swords and go, go before they get here. He's not surprised, he knows they are there. He's not scared of that army. He's not like, oh, what's going to happen to my people? He's not dethroned by any fear, any challenge, anything this world has to offer. God is still God, and he's still in control. And the battle is not yours. God fights for you. If you believe in him, he fights for you, and nothing surprises him, and nothing scares him, and nothing dethrones him. And that's where our true power lies. It's not in our ability to fix our problems. It's not in our ability to rule. It's not in our ability to earn or to gain power. Our true power lies in our worship. In our moments where we choose to, instead of trying to handle it ourselves, to quiet down, to pray, and to trust. There should be a difference in how followers of Jesus and people who don't know him handles moment of, moments of desperation. 
there should be a difference. If there's no difference in how we handle moments of desperation as his church to how the world handles it, then there's a problem, and the problem doesn't lie with God. Because you just heard it. He says, you don't even have to fight. I'm, I'm fighting for you. He's saying, I know as a man that I cannot fight every battle in this world, that I cannot win every battle. I know that if it was all up to me, I would have failed in almost everything I've done. I would have failed in my marriage. I would fail in my parenting. I would fail in my finances. I would fail in leading this church. But it's not up to me. And that is why I know that I need a superhuman savior. I need someone that surpasses my desperation and my weakness and my inability. I need Jesus. And that's why I'm following him. And if you're willing to follow him, it doesn't mean that he's just going to wipe every little thing that bothers you out of the way and your life will just be all smooth and rosy and peachy. They still had to march out. The, the command from God was still there. He said, you don't have to fight, but you still march out. You're still going to face that army, right? March out, take your positions in verse 16. But trust me. And what is so beautiful to me, guys, all of this doesn't happen just in a random moment. They get to this point where they can march out and trust God because of their act of worship in a time when they could have responded in fear, in cynicism, in pessimism. Now I want to read to you what happened after this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20 to 25. Early the next morning, <clears throat> this is how close the army was, right? Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king, hear this, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And after that destroyed the armies of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Guys, they decide to march out, and I think they were still afraid. And I think that's why King Jehoshaphat, like this just happened last night when they prayed, right? But in that moment, I think he was still afraid because there's a huge army awaiting them. So he pauses for a moment again. Fear starts to overwhelm again. He starts to get desperate again. And what does he do again? He pauses. He says, let's remember what God said. Let's fall back on his promise. Let's worship him again. And then he does this crazy thing where he doesn't send out his soldiers with the longest spears to the front or the guys who's the biggest or the best fighters. He sends out the musicians. 
sacrifices. I'm like, what is that about? And listen, this is not like something you've seen on a movie where it's the guys with the big drums and like war paint and horns on their heads and like trying to intimidate the army. These guys sing these words. Hear what they sing. Okay, you ready for this? Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. I wonder, that enemy was probably standing there and they're like, listen, what bunch of hippies is this? Like, it's all about love, right? Like, we're going to defeat them in like this. Can't even play a war drum properly. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And what stood out to me in this is that they march out early, leading with worship. And this is what I realized. They were still afraid. But in that moment, this king was setting up this whole nation for the rest of this day. By choosing to lead with worship. So what I learned from this is that whatever you lead with sets you up for how you face the rest of your day. Whatever you lead with sets you up for how you face the rest of your day. If you start your day on your phone or on your tablet with social media, that's what you set yourself up with, with comparison to other people, with whatever fake news you get. If you start your day with the newspaper or with your news app on your tablet, you are setting yourself up to face the days with knowledge of war and destruction and AI that's going to control the world. Whatever you lead with is how you're going to face the rest of the day. And the same goes with worship. When we choose to lead with worship, when we choose to start our day with giving our worship to God, that is how we go into our day. That is how we face our armies. And in faith, they were able to worship without seeing the breakthrough yet. And that is the beauty of Christianity. I don't have to see God destroy the army before I can worship Him. I don't have to see heaven before I can worship Him. I don't have to see breakthrough in my life before I can worship Him. Wherever I'm at, I can worship Him because I have faith and trust that He is greater than whatever I face. The beauty of this is no matter what darkness you're facing in your life, and I don't know what challenges, what desperate times you might be facing in your own life, but here's the beauty of worship. When we worship, it has the ability to drown out the darkness of what's around us in our lives and put our focus back on God. That moment when they must have been shaking in their boots because there was an army so big that it took them three days to gather the plunder. Okay, this wasn't one-on-one, like I just carried the stuff of someone I would have killed in battle. This was a huge army, three days to gather plunder. They must have been shaking in their boots, but because they chose to worship, the darkness was drowned out and they were able to focus on God. Back in that time in my life when so much difficulty and challenging situations came up and I couldn't see how I could even worship God anymore, what happened is the darkness started to drown out the worship. And nothing special happened in my life and I didn't have any magical breakthrough. I just realized one day that if I give up Jesus, I actually really have nothing left. But when I have Jesus, no matter what happens in this life, at least I have Him. And in that moment, I just decided I'll rather worship than allow the darkness to drown out His voice in my life. 
And the moment we start singing, the moment we start praising in verse 22, what happened? The army, the army started destroying themselves. Guys, desperate situations is not only resolved with money. If it could be, there would have been no more issues in Canada, right? Cannot just be solved with power or with your planning skills. Every desperate situation cannot be solved by violence, but with prayer and with worship, with dependency on God and with trust in Jesus. I believe even the most deepest, darkest, desperate situations can change. So at the end of this series, I want to ask you, you, you were created to worship whether you know it or not. And you have to make a choice in life at some point in life where you're going to direct your worship at. And it can be at a lot of stuff that leaves you empty. You can choose to direct it at Jesus. And if you want to choose, if you want to make that choice and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus yet and you haven't decided to worship him yet, we would love to do that with you. And I want to ask, come and speak to one of us after the service. Send us an email or fill in a connection card and just tell us that you want to surrender your life to Jesus and we would do that journey with you. You're not alone. But I also want to tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, desperate times will come. And in those moments, you will have to choose what your response is going to be. Are you going to lead with worship? Or are you going to lead with desperation? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to pray for every person sitting here today. Every person watching this or hearing this online. That are facing desperate situations in their life. Whether it's a relationship whether that's a struggle to find the truth about you, whether that is an identity crisis, whether that's a financial crisis, whether that's fear about the children's future. I want to bring them before you today, God, because you are not surprised by the brokenness of this world, by the enemies we're facing. You are not dethroned and you are not scared. I want to bring every one of these people and their problems before you today. And I pray, Jesus, that they would have the courage to lay it at your feet. And I pray that as we trust in you, that the same God who's been faithful in the past, that you will be faithful in our present and in our future. And that you would bring breakthrough for people in their lives where they thought it's impossible. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.